Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at newbalance.com. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. What's up, everybody? Coast to Coast Live coming at you. I'm Joey Powell for Inside Carolina. We are brought to you by Johnny T-Shirt and Congruity. Glad everybody could make us as part of their evening. Uh, if you're not watching this live, we are doing it live for a change. We did the post game the other night just uh, to fill in for Tommy because that man does shows every day and, and then twice on some days. So gave Tommy a break Monday night and did our show live, and it turned out really well. And we were we were shocked that our schedules aligned so that we were able to do it live this evening. So here we are wanting to deliver the content that you, our loyal listeners and subscribers, are ready to hear. And we appreciate you being a part of the show. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, shout out to uh, Sherelle McMillan and Sean Moran who have joined me. And I'm sure Sherelle will notify me here in a second that I've already cleared my throat once on the air. Big party foul on my part. But, uh, hey, man, we're not used to doing these live. So doing something a little different and and want to make sure that that we're, uh, we're giving you guys content you want to hear. Uh, resetting what we've done since the last time we did a show. You know, we did the post game Monday night. Talked about uh, UNC kind of just waking up in the second half against Wake Forest. And then this Saturday, uh, another game in Tallahassee on the road against a team that at the time was second in the ACC. You can put stock in that or not. The standings are what the standings are. Sean, I keep seeing a team that is finding more ways to surprise us and more ways to win games. We talked about a little off the air. I don't know that this defense looks smothering. It doesn't remind me as... Uh, like 40 minutes of hell from Nola Richardson or any of the Cincinnati teams when Huggy Bear was there. But it's something about this team that's still holding opponents under 70 and still giving up one shot and clearing the glass. What are you seeing from this squad that's that's surprising you? And we'll start defensively. Defensively, I don't think they bring to mind a particular style that you say, oh, this was a, a great defense, whether it was some of those you mentioned or even what all the ACC fans are used to seeing from Tony Bennett and, and UVA and maybe the pain that you feel going up against it. But at the same time, it's so solid that you're not seeing the breakdowns. You're not seeing, I mean, even going back to Connecticut, uh, which once is a very tough offense to guard, but the open lay, layups, the easy, easy shots, even the wide open three pointers, you're still 
seeing them on occasion, but you're seeing, uh, you know, to a man, each defender, you know, each possession playing extremely hard to keep their man in front of them. And if there is a pick and roll, either getting through it or the help side is stepping up and the rotations are, are for the most part, clean and crisp. Uh, I think one of the weaknesses has always been rim protection. And you have Armando Baycott, who is playing the best he's ever played at the rim. Um, you know, I, I think a, a really high block percentage. And then you have guy like Harrison Ingram making a key block against Florida State in the final minutes as well. So I think you really have everybody playing as a team. And the guys that we probably all talked about uh, throughout the summer, you know, how is RJ going to guard? How is Elliot Cadeau going to guard? And they've been, they've been once again, keeping uh, their man in front of them and, and being aggressive defensively. So all in all, it's everybody playing as a team and not making mistakes and making things frustrating and not easy for the opponent. Sherelle, we talked about multiple times as the season, you know, before the season started and as the season came along, we were worried about North Carolina's height defensively on the perimeter. Uh, RJ is, I'm not sure he's six foot. I know what he's listed as. Elliot Cadeau is, is probably six, six one. Um, but we were worried about the size those guys may be handicapped by as the season came along. Are you surprised they're defending as well as they are? Uh, and, and I go back to, you know, there was, a, there was one of the plays against Wake Forest where Elliot Cadeau basically just stood his man up and poked the ball away and triggered a break that way. Uh, R.J. Davis, again, not necessarily um, a lengthy guy that's going to to get his hands in a lot of uh, passing lanes, but he's absolutely up in guys' shorts now. It, were you surprised to see this this backcourt evolving to be as good of a defensive tandem as they've been? For sure, and I think uh, I've been as wrong about that as anyone because you know everything that I think we saw the first month of the season screamed that this was going to be an issue all year all the way back to Villanova, where it was just, you know, a kind of ISO bully ball, back them down, uh, back to the strategy of Pittsburgh from previous years. So it looked like that was going to be how teams attacked UNT. And I, I think the biggest thing, honestly, and someone else in the chat said it, shout out to 808 Lawson, uh, but Armando has become a valid, you know, super, I don't want to say super, but a really good rim protector. Um, when Jalen Washington's in the game, he has his faults as far as lateral movement and, and helping off of screens and switching. But there's one thing you can count on is that he's going to be able to swat something. And same thing uh, with Jalen Withers. So they have more rim protection than I think they've had in the past. I think that helps a ton. And to your point about it not looking like a smothering defense, honestly, I think it's a bit of our eyes tricking us because the guards are, are diminutive, so, so to speak. Uh, there's not the super athletic, rangy person you typically associate with lockdown right. defense. You, you usually think of guys from Arkansas and Alabama who can jump out of the gym, who are muscular, who are just solid athletes. Those are the kind of people that you, in your mind, are like, oh, that's a good defender. When you look at RJ Davis and Elliot Cadeau, you're like, oh, those are offensive players. So I think they've done a great job of uh, just being solid. You know, not, you don't have to be great. You don't have to be an amazing defender. You just have to be solid. And they're guarding as a team. That's That's really the biggest thing, guarding as a team. And then the fact that when they do – funnel guys into the middle. Armando's done a great job, whether it's switching off and, and staying with guards. He he pulled a Kevin Love against uh, Steph Curry in the finals there uh, against Florida State on a couple possessions where he stepped out and the guard really couldn't get by him and, and forced couldn't a bad shot. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I, to me, that's the biggest thing is Armando's room protection and then again, the fact that they're, they're playing together as a team and, and the defense is moving and they're talking. 
Appreciate everybody watching us live. This is Coast to Coast Podcast for InsideCarolina.com. Trill, I'm not going to let you. Uh, I'm not going to let you back out of the conversation just yet because I think one of the things, and we talked about it in the post game on Saturday with with Tommy and John Bauman. Um, one of the things I think is is helping this squad is you've got a player like Seth Trimble who is demanding playing time with his ability to defend, his ability to get to the rim, uh, and he's good for a couple of baskets each game. His demand and, and him forcing the staff to play him is giving UNC a, a, an ability to rest R.J. Davis and rest Elliot Cadeau, and I think that matters in end of game situation. Do you feel like do you feel like that's something that can be relied upon as the year goes on? And also, do you feel like it's somewhat contagious when you've got Seth pushing those guys for time when it's really he's just coming in and triggering because he's going to be a, a defensive dog? I think defense is very similar to moving the ball and the ball not sticking is that when you see other people doing it, it makes you want to do it more. And I think a lot of that begins with Cormac Ryan on the offense, on the defensive side. The fact that while again, he's not, you're, he doesn't look like what you think a great defender looks like, but he is a, a really good defender. Um, he's able to, to fight through screens. He kind of stays in front of his man most of the time. Uh, so I think that's one. And then two, yes, I mean, Seth Trimble, you know, no disrespect to Davis and Cadeau, but he's a better defender than them. And so I think when they are able to come out of the game and you get Seth, and not to toot our own horns, but we talked about it in the preseason, when you, you kind of sick Seth on them like a junkyard dog and, and say, get up in them, you know, make them frustrated and make them not comfortable, then that, you know, it allows, I think, for R.J. Davis and Elliot Cadeau to get that break um, that helps their offense, but it also makes them want to guard too. So the things that they're doing are all uh, infectious. It, it permeates through the locker room. Whatever word or verb you want to use, uh, I, I think is what you're seeing with UNC. From Cadeau's passing to Armando's role acceptance to Cormac Ryan's vocal leadership, um, it, it all is working together. Sean, how can somebody who's watching the game that maybe is – is not used to watching team defense. What are some things they can look for? I mean, Sherelle alluded to Armando Baycott's ability now to become a more efficient rim protector. You talk about the fact that he's he's become a a great to or a a, a very good defender. Uh, what are some things people can watch in the flow of a game to see what team defense looks like? Well, I think just staying on the um, Armando front, um, I know this was called out on on Twitter a while ago, but if you think if you think there's going to be a mismatch, you most likely think, hey, it's getting a, a, a quick guard on on Armando, mo most likely. And what you're seeing when he's in these spot-up situations or, or these defensive situations, he's been playing like one of the best players in the country. So, you know, for a guy his size and, and his strength, it'd be keeping guys in front of him, challenging the shots. But, um, Joey, from a, from a team defense, I think, once again, it's, it's not trying to watch all five guys on the floor, but... Uh, from a man-to-man, -man, once the guy gets the ball, you know, how, how is he being being defended? Um, and on that first first pass that's being made, once once there's an attack, how how is UNC? I feel in years past, uh, they've always been slow on the rotations, on the help side, and all of a sudden you do two, three, four passes, and you're going to have a wide open shot. I think you're you're not you're not seeing that because they're one they're they're not letting it get to those three four passes, but um, you know, they're, they're able to keep their man in front of them and then they're able to rotate quickly and cut everything off. So it's not really continuity that's, that's going on. And then also in transition, I think that's a, that's been a big key, especially from the larger perspective of just scoring more points than, than the opposition when, 
and they're playing so well from a transition perspective of of challenging shots, but also keeping people out and and making it tough to defend. Uh, you know, all that I think leads into things that are watchable. So I would say, in transition, just watching how how UNC has been getting back uh, back on defense, but then from the man-to-man perspective, just watching how each individual is really not getting getting beat. And if they are, for the most part, there's been some good good help side and good rotations that have been made. Joey, I wanted to add to Joey, when you talk yeah. about Armando on the switches, I think what people realize, you don't have to usually, you don't have to guard your man on a switch for 13 seconds or 15 seconds. Usually it's it, towards the end of the shot clock um, or it's a situation where they're not going to you know, dribble the shot clock out and try to go ISO the entire possession. So on the switches, all you need from Armando is four or five good seconds of defense um, to get the ball out of the guard's hands, and then the defense can reset. So I think he's done a good job of just surviving those four or five seconds and, and allowing everything to, to start over. Yeah, I mean, you, you know, that's got to be one of the things the coaches are telling them is like, go defend for five seconds. Anybody can defend for five seconds, right? We're not asking you to play a, a full shot clock. And then back to what Sean was talking about, if, if folks want to see a good example of what uh, good help defense looks like, um, you're rotating over, um, dropping down, you know, recognition when, when somebody's about to get beat. Uh, one of the biggest plays of the game was Harrison Ingram's block at the end. Um, and, and, you know, Florida State, as they're wont to do, because they're so rangy and so athletic, uh, are willing to try to attack on the dribble. UNC's smaller guards. Uh, UNC was backpedaling fairly well, but Harrison Ingram just drops across the lane and knocks the ball out of the sky. And I think that's that's just the recognition that Sean was pointing to a second ago um, that that North Carolina has not had in the past of just understanding where to uh, where do where do you need to be if X Y Z breaks down. Um, yeah, let's stay with I, Baycott a second, yeah. Sean. Go ahead. I was just gonna say. I mean, I think this goes back to the the larger theme of of team chemistry and and getting guys in that are high IQ basketball players. Cause I think one that just helps from when everybody's on the court, but then I think it permeates, you know, across, across the other, the other players. So I think you've seen guys talking more. I think you've seen guys now willing to to buy in and, and really playing together, whether that's offensively or, or defensively. So I think that in a large part um, has helped, you know, help this team get to where they are just that change in demeanor as well. So let's stay with the Baycott conversation a second, because I think that was, I think that was something that was really, um, I guess, talked a lot about both during and after the game, uh, because we've seen a couple of times where Armando Baycott has not had amazing stats. Uh, I would, I would tend to point towards what Sean's talking about of, of how he's been able to be such a better on the ball defender. He's been somewhat of a rim protector, at least at a more advanced pace than he ever has at any point in his career. But something that uh, Leonard Hamilton said after the game, uh, I, I think is really important for folks to notice here, and I want to get Sherelle to comment on it. Uh, Leonard Hamilton said, you know, we tried to take Baycott away, uh, and they were running multiple guys at him, but they were fronting him for most of the most of the first half, which I don't remember seeing a lot this year. Um, so they were fronting him with some really athletic players, and that was hard for him to get his, his offense established. Sherelle, do you feel like this is just Armando – being unselfish or is it one of these things where he's still going to be valuable when the time's needed it's just they're winning without him what do you fall on that conversation uh i think the team has changed like we've talked about in the past it's definitely not 
a team where he is the primary number one option, no matter what. I, I think there were several times in previous years where we'd get on here and we'd say, you've got to give Armando Baycott the ball. He should have a touch on every possession. I think the way RJ Davis has played, the way Elliot Cadeau has played, um, and Harrison Egan to some degree, because he has played like a post player for a lot of the season, that has changed kind of the, the math a little bit. I think the question I might have for Leonard Hamilton is, you know, does he have an outdated scouting report? Um, because, uh, you know, anything where R.J. Davis isn't number one on the scouting board right now, I, I, I question the scout, honestly, because he does so much for UNC um, with the way he's able to score, especially the way he's able to score uh, in the clutch. Uh, it, it makes me wonder just, you know, is it, is it just something you say because Armando's been around for so long um, that it's like, oh, you have to stop Armando because you've had to stop him for the last four years? Or is it they really feel that he still makes everything go? And I, I don't have an answer for that. Um, but to answer your actual question, Joey, <clears throat> I think, yeah, there'll, there'll come a time. Uh, maybe it'll be Tuesday, maybe it'll be Saturday, where we'll, we'll see kind of vintage Armando Baycott. I don't need to go through the history of North Carolina seniors like we've had in the past um, on this podcast who have struggled, frankly, their, their final season for a lot of it, but kind of pulled it through towards the end if you remember everybody loves kennedy meeks uh now you know he's a he's a hometown hero he's a legend but during a lot of that season most of the people who probably are listening to this were like tony bradley's got to play more you got to pull kennedy he's not pulling his weight he's not playing well uh but roy williams stuck with him and eventually it paid off marcus page same thing he's on the staff at unc now his senior year was not great he had that game against florida state was was awesome um but he was shooting you know 29 30 percent for a large majority of the year. And it kind of you know, finally clicked towards the end of February and into March. So I would say offensively, just give Baycott some time. It'll come back uh, because the more that Cadeau is able to drive, the more that defenses are going to collapse on him and the more Baycott's going to get just wide open dunks. Love that. I think it's a great, uh, a great synopsis, Sherelle. And also, if you look at Armando Baycott's skill set, it's not like parameter shooting. It's not like it can go away in its mechanics or anything like that. Um, I think it's literally just, is he getting the ball uh, in places to, you know, to start his offense? Is he getting, is he getting the ball early in the shot clock and, and those sort of situations? Um, one of the things I think is, is incredibly fun. Go ahead, Shrill. No, Sean looked like he wanted to jump in like four times. So I was going to say, let, let, let him cook if he wants to cook. No, 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 I, I, I agree. I mean, I think we'll, we'll get to this week where Armando, I think can have a, a big, big influence on, on Saturday. Um, you know, I, I know against Florida State, he's often, often struggled more, more so due to their size and, and length, but, you know, being guarded by DeAndre Green, you know, he, Florida State was giving up a lot, a lot this time around. And, and perhaps with their length on the guards, they thought, hey, we, we're, we're going to be able to slow them down that way. But I think we're going to see more than four shot attempts. I think for everything to be, clicking you need armando you don't need him you know getting getting 20 but i think you're going to need him getting more more than four shot attempts and and finding ways to get him uh just some quick and easier easier looks around the basket but agree with sherelle that some of those will come with with cadeau you know right now he's getting to the basket especially right-handed at will so he's able to finish but i could see a lot of those you know hopefully some some lobs or dump offs uh coming his way as well definitely uh something that we saw against florida state that we haven't seen before. And I don't want to make this game specifically about Florida State, but I want to take something that we saw and I want to forecast forward with it. I guess that's what forecast means is looking forward. But anyway, 
Bear with me. Um, looking at, at the perimeter shooting that North Carolina had, they got multiple three-pointers from Harrison Ingram and Cormac Ryan in the game against Florida State. I don't know when the last time that happened was, but when I see that transpire in the flow of UNC's offense, I immediately think that that's, that's also another one of those found money situations that could really affect their postseason run. Sean, do you agree, or am I am I am I on the Chiba when I say that? No, and I, I think those shots did come, you know, especially Cormac to uh, to really start the second half came at a at a big time where I think in years past or in general it wouldn't have been a surprise you get down eight in the second half at Florida State, and I mean that could just go downhill pretty quick, which which we have seen in the past at Florida State, but um, you know just the general shooting came up in in big spots even the the shot uh, on on the fast break against Wake you know was was a a big one as well i think he we've talked about ingram regressing to the mean given that he's still shooting above 40% but he's he's definitely trended it trended down in acc play so seeing him hit 3 out of 4 was big um especially early on but i, I do think Cormac Ryan is one of those keys to unlocking what is that offensive potential or at least can you know getting to a top tier ACC offense. And right now he's still shooting, you know, in the low, the low thirties, but he's been playing, I think been shooting better. Um, sure. There's some times where he's still, still forced the issue a little bit, but I think he's been shooting a little easier, getting some more lift. So I, I think if he can be that 35% plus three point shooter, that in itself will, will unlock a lot because now RJ has been playing at a, all-American level, Elliot Cadeau's picking it up. And if you can get consistency uh, at the at a baseline from Ingram and Ryan, knowing there might be some upside, I think, you know, that's really going to be the difference between catching, you know, not not getting upset, um, you know, when when the when it matters most. Ryan's at over 30% for the season, like exactly 30%. He's 34-100 from three um, so far. While we're talking about perimeter shooting, uh, Sherelle, I think some folks are, as fans are wont to do, uh, you know, pick nits, look for, you know, look for cracks in anything. Some folks are saying Elliot Cadeau's jump shot needs to come along. I don't disagree with that, but are you at the place where you feel like it's an issue yet? Or is it just, you know, uh, letting, letting perfect get in the way of really good? Um, right now, I, I think what's going to happen is, he's had like three or four games where he's just kind of gotten to the rim and no one's been able to stop him. At some point, there's going to be a coach who has a few days for a scout is going to say, Oh, well, we're not going to let this happen. And it's going to completely back off. They're, they're going to be, you know, in the paint pretty much. And that can be, you know, I, I get the idea, but I think that's not the, still not the best idea uh, against Godot because he still has that two dribble, you know, three or four feet inside the three point line. Pull up. He hasn't hit it much, but it's you, you can tell it's a rhythm shot for him. It's something that he practices a lot. So I really think that's all he needs. Honestly, if he doesn't hit, uh, you know, threes, but once every few games, I don't think that's a huge issue for you. I feel like that's enough. I think, yeah, I, I think he just needs to be willing to take that two step, uh, you know, dribble pull up. And as long as he does that, I think he'll be fine. I think when when I was when I was I mean, and I could see it come. Saturday against Duke, given given how they played UNC last year, of just just complete you know completely ignoring Leaky and, and Pete Nance and just saying hey we're we're going right in the paint 
you know, beat us, beat us that way. So I could see them probably being that first team that is really going to play off almost, you know, I've kind of been waiting on that taco fall Trey Jones situation that we've seen in years past, but I think that's a hell of a pool, bro. (laughs) I mean, that was probably one of those biggest, you know, changes or matchups that that you can remember. But I think with Cadeau, you know, right now in a catch and shoot opportunity, he is in the the third percentile in division one. So that, I mean that, you know, but at the same time, he puts so much pressure and it's not like leaky black where, Hey, he might catch and shoot. He might try to, but he's going to have the ball in his hands. And if you're playing off of him, he's still going to attack you. And and now you're, you backed up a few feet. So you're, you're almost flat footed. So he's still going to catch you or put you off guard. And at the same time, be able to dish it. So the fact that he does put so much pressure and the fact that he is such a good passer, I think negates the lack of shooting. I mean, if he was shooting, even just av- average, I mean, it would be, we probably would not be seeing him around next year if there is a, is an opportunity. Um, but I, I could see Duke trying to do something pretty different than what we've seen uh, the, the past few games, you know, Florida state had the length to try to do something different. It didn't, didn't, didn't work. Um, but I could see Saturday being something where we, where we see it. Yeah. He's yeah. only made four. He's only made four this season. And the last one was against Charleston Southern. Hmm. It's been a minute. Um, so I, I, that jumps out at me. It's something I want to, something I want to, I'm going to get to a little bit later in the show. Um, bear with me. I was making notes, uh, guys. I, I want to run this down, and, and I mentioned it briefly on Saturday, but I want to hear y'all's insight into it. If I'm looking at a game, and I'm telling you guys about a game that just went down, uh, if I say that North Carolina trailed in field goal percentage, 44 to 41. Uh, they gave up 45% from the three. The opponent hit nine three-pointers. Um, they had 17 turnovers and uh, went through some severe scoring droughts. And then also Armando Baycott went two for four from the field, one for two from the line, and finished with five points. What would you tell – what would you think I'm I'm telling you about this game? What would you think the, the big issue would be from that game? And then what do you think the outcome would have been? Sean, take it first, and Sherelle was on mute. I mean, I, well, I'll start. I mean, I think the outcome would be uh, you, you just go by those stats alone and, and nothing else, and you think for sure UNC lost that game. Uh, but I think, not to not answer your first question, but I do think it was UNC's ability to go on those two 7-0 runs pretty quickly in the second half in like a minute 10, a minute 20 on, on each time. So the fact that they do have that uh, ability, especially with R.J. Davis being one of the best scorers in America, um, you know, and you, you mix around what everybody else is doing and starting to, to gel together. I think that, you know, those, those two quick runs, 14 points right there, uh, definitely made up the difference. And even though there were some long stretches of, of UNC struggling to get good looks, um, struggling to score between the defense and some of those quick runs, they were able to, to really hold, hold everything off. Um, even though it got pretty, pretty dicey at the end up two and those two possessions open three and then a turnover. Uh, but they continue to, you know, make, make big plays. All right, sure. I'll jump on it. The 17 turnovers would have been a huge surprise because of the fact that Elliot Cadeau and, and RJ Davis are UNC starting guards. So, uh, we've been surprised there. And then, yeah, for sure. A, a loss. Um, cause it, that's just a lot to withstand. Um, they've, 
we see it in three point numbers. They've been historically great, whether you believe it's luck or, or good defense or a combination of the two. They have been historically great in, at keeping teams from um, hitting threes. So you would think that, okay, it's caught up with them. They gave up the nine threes, they gave up the 17 turnovers. But then I would say, I would ask you the question back. I would say, well, did they win the rebounding battle? Um, did they have a lot of offensive rebounds? Did they get to the free throw line? And if you would answer those, I might would have said, okay, well, you know, could have gone either way, um, because I think that is becoming UNC's formula to to win games. I mean, it again, if you look at advanced statistics and pretty much everything, UNC is very good at getting to the free throw line, especially in conference play. They are very good at offensive rebounding, especially in conference play, where they're number one in both. Uh, so that gives you an advantage there because you're getting more shots typically than your uh, your opponent. Uh, so you're getting more opportunities. And then, like we said, they're playing defense at, at a level that a UNC team hasn't in some time. So when you combine all that, I would have said, okay, yeah, more than likely lost, but there probably was a, a path to victory. And uh, I think spitting it forward, that is maybe the model for Carolina, is timely shooting, continued great defense, and, and crashing the boards. I didn't expect you to go full Kornacki early on me with the hmm. path to victory, but but here it is. Sean, you had something else you want to throw in? Yeah, not maybe more of a, a side tangent. I mean, I think the the frustrating thing because that was a the first win against Florida State was a big win given the situation coming off the, the win against Tennessee, being down fourteen points. Um, you know, so that was a, a letdown game of sorts. They they came back, and then this one, uh, you know, big win against Wake Forest at home, going on the road to Florida State uh, and improved Florida State. So it was a big win. But when you look at where they're where they're ranked in the, the 70s or, or 80s, it, it's frustrating. And part of that's on Florida State for the, some of those early early season losses. But I know on the message boards, I've seen a lot about the net and the rankings. And I think that's hey, frustrating. Do don't make me censor you. No, well, I think that's the frustrating part is if if we were doing like an ACC, SEC, SEC challenge right now, like uh, you could put Florida State against probably anybody, especially at home. But mm-hmm. right now, they're just, all they're going to be getting is ACC teams, and they don't have that opportunity to to showcase. So I think that's the yeah. frustrating thing is that was a big win, and um, you know it's probably won't get the recognition it deserves or other people beating Florida State. So that was a very talented team uh, that that UNC beat yesterday. They look largely different with Primo Spears on that roster. I'll say that um, that dude gives them a spark that they clearly did not have the first time they played North Carolina earlier this season. Um, and so it's got to be nice for for Leonard Hamilton to be able to just pull something like that out of his shopping bag, you know, while he's trying to, you know, keep the corners clean in Amsterdam. Uh, <laughs> something else that would have been great for for Leonard Hamilton is is if he were able to swing by Johnny T-shirt and get some gear when he was up here in December. I mean, if you think about it, you know, they, they got nice weather in Florida, maybe not in Tallahassee all the time, but in Florida. And we've always remarked at how Leonard Hamilton doesn't age. So he could probably just get him some some of the clothes that the youth wear that you can find over there at uh, at Johnny T-shirt on East Franklin Street in Chapel Hill, and uh, and yeah, he can he can look like like the young kids. He could walk around with his you know Florida State bag over his shoulder with his UNC hat on and look at somebody in the face and say, "How do you do, fellow kids?" And it would work because he's Leonard Hamilton. He doesn't age, and he's rocking his his new hat that he got from Johnny T-shirt. We appreciate Johnny T-Shirt sponsoring the show. We want you guys to appreciate him as well. Uh, they're huge, huge supporters of Inside Carolina and, you know, Tar Heels alumni, locally owned and operated. Use your 10% on the premium message boards. Get that extra 
discount off top of their great, their great, great, great prices and selection. We appreciate them. I hope you will too. Let the uh, national guys drop an ad in here right now if you're listening to us. Uh, and if you're watching us, stick around because I've got something you want to hear. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Jeremy Renner returns to Paramount Plus for a brand new season of the original hit series, Mayor of Kingstown. My job is to create a balance, avoid a war. From executive producer Taylor Sheridan, co-creator of Yellowstone. There's some new players in town, and they brought the plague. And Antoine Fuqua, director of Training Day. I know it's always been a war zone, Mike, but this is next level. The mayor is back in business. Are you warning me? You're going to find out. Mayor of Kingstown. New season streaming June 2nd, exclusively on Paramount Plus. Fellas, I uh, I took a call earlier today, and it was from it was from some people, uh, people out on the street, you know, like letting me know what's going on, what the vibe is. Uh oh, it's back. You know what they told me? They told me they needed, they needed no cap or sus. The streets are talking, and the streets are saying we want no cap or sus back, and so. It is without further ado that I bring to you, our audience, either watching us live here on Inside Carolina's YouTube channel or listening to us in your podcast feed, the latest edition of the world's most rapidly growing, most popular, hippest with everybody in the world, new edition of No Cap or Sus. You guys know how it works. I will say make a statement about UNC basketball, and Cheryl McMillan and Sean Moran will state that it is either no cap, meaning that it's true, or they will say that it's sus, which means that they're not really sure on that one. Boys, you ready to play? Ready to play this uh, unexpected surprise. I'm wondering if uh, we'll have a disagreement of any sorts. Unlike There we uh, go. G- giving the people what we want. Giving the people what we want. So I'm going to take this kind of to where Sherelle was going before we took a break a second ago. Um, with North Carolina playing a good defense, owning the glass, um, you know, getting offensive rebounds and getting to the free throw line, that sounds a lot like an old Dean Smith team. Terrell, are you seeing this North Carolina team as a Dean Smith team, or is this more of something else? No cap or sus, this team looks like a Dean Smith, vintage Dean Smith basketball team. I'm going to cheat. I'm going to say no cap, but for the reason being, I, I schematically, uh, I would have to ask someone, you know, more versed in exactly all the things that Coach Smith did. However, it has to be because Hubert Davis has said many times of, of basically how he created the UNC program and the image of all the great people who came before him. And while Roy Williams was a great mentor for him and he coached under him for nine years, I, I still think, you know, the Coach Smith impact is, is very strong in, in Coach Davis because he played for him for four years. You know, most people look up to Coach Smith as kind of a, an idol slash hero. I would say the things that are working in the way that Coach Smith's teams uh, worked is the rebounding, of course. Uh, I think um, the using of the bench, the, the ti- I will say timely using of the bench, because I do think it's a misnomer that, you know, uh, Coach Smith was out here with 
12 guys playing and they all played 15 minutes a game and it was utopia and everybody was happy. Not quite the way it worked. Um, go back to that 94 season and people are still upset about how the bench was used. However, I will say that he always used the bench timely. He knew when to put in a Henrik Rodel. He knew when to make sure that, you know, Scott Williams got some rest. He knew when, uh, you know, Vince had to sit out for a little bit. So I think um, you're seeing for a Hubert, a, a third year coach, someone who's growing into the role and, and taking some of the things that he's seen before. I think bench usage is definitely a place where pretty much everyone complained over the last couple of years and that he's really improved. Um, not so much that everyone's playing equal amounts, but they're all being used at a time when they should be used like specialists almost um, to accomplish a certain goal. With clear roles. Sean, this team looks like a Dean Smith team. No cap or sus. Uh, tough, tough one. Um, I will go no cap, but at the same time, I'm going to say in terms of who it reminds me of, it's more the 06 team, obviously under, under Roy Williams, they finished, uh, 10th in Ken Palm. Obviously UNC is higher than that right now, but with how they played down the stretch, uh, and also how they played together, uh, really to, you know, I think not a lot was expected coming, coming off the 05 championship team. There were expectations, obviously, for this team ranked in the 20s, but I think with how they've been playing together, uh, I'd say it's reminding me of the 06 team. But in terms of what Terrell uh, mentioned, in terms of some of the substitution patterns and other things, there are some similarities. But it's also interesting, you know, this is the third year for Hubert Davis, and you know, now trying to see just how he's been been running this team compared to the the last two. Appreciate that, boys. Let me address let me, somebody. In- let me add one thing. Yeah. Uh, as far as team comparisons, um, I, I was thinking this the other day. I need to go back and look at it. This is totally off the cuff. Uh, this is not me doing research or anything. It's just me thinking about it. I think it reminds me a little bit of Roy's early 2000s teams because of the multiple point guards, because of the at times dominant big, because of the kind of do everything wing slash four that they had with, you know, they had Aaron Miles and Kirk Heinrich. Um, that was with Collison and, and a couple other guys. Um, so Drew it reminds Gooden. me of that. Yeah, Drew Gooden. Um, obviously, Harrison Ingram isn't quite Drew Gooden. Um, he's playing pretty good. He's playing like Drew Gooden played in the NBA. But um, just the makeup of the team reminds me of that a little bit. Again, haven't checked stats, haven't looked at numbers, but I was just thinking about that the other day. So I want to address somebody in the chat. We're not saying that Hubert doesn't get credit for this team. We're not saying it's it's Dean Smith's team. We're saying this team has a lot of the similar traits, or at least I'm posing to these guys, does this team have a lot of similar traits that some of the vintage uh, Dean Smith teams has? It's definitely definitely not saying this is Hubert should not get credit for this. I've been a huge proponent, especially when he's been criticized, at least on this show and from inside Carolina. I think he's deserving of all the flowers uh, this year and what he's been able to do and finding goal with his lineups and and way he's manipulated other teams, the way he spammed teams with his play calling, all of that. Next question on no cap or sus. Harrison Ingram reminds you of George Lynch. <laughs> now I share this because that is something that I, I felt myself coming to the understanding of this past week. And I've been trying to put my finger on it, but I'd seen it somewhere else and it hit me with his stat line this weekend. Uh, I think it may have just been because of the, the, the wrist wrap, the wrist tape or the coming across for that, um, for that big block at the end of the game. But uh, he really does remind me of the way George Lynch played. Similar statue, uh, similar stature, um, all that stuff. And I have let Mr. Lynch know about 
my assertion there. So he's aware of the comp. I'm throwing it to you guys. No cap or sus. Sean, you go first. And I, I know am, you hate player comps too. I'm going to go sus. I mean, I think from, I think there, there, there is a lot of similarities, but it's probably maybe a month ago I was watching the, the, uh, the game against Michigan, the championship game. And, and I feel Lynch, Lynch was still a little more bruising and powerful, even though obviously Ingram is tearing it up on the, on the boards. Uh, and you look at him and he doesn't look anything like what he did in high school, you know, from a physicality standpoint, but, uh, you know, even when you see George Lynch these days, like, I mean, he is just a massive, massive dude. And I think he's more of like, you know, the old school power forward that can, can be versatile where Ingram still, we haven't seen it as much, but from the ball handling and, and passing. So I would say in terms of uh, stats and what Ingram has been doing on the boards, there's in my mind, some similarities, but I would, I wouldn't, I would put it as sus from a comparison in my mind. All right, Sherelle, no cap or sus. Harrison Ingram reminds you of George Lynch. I'm going to say no cap. Uh, the only reason I'm going to say that, I, I don't like disagreeing with Sean. Um, I just looked up uh, George Lynch's senior year numbers. This might be the first, and... first time. <laughs> yeah. I just looked up George Lynch's senior year numbers, and they're not that dissimilar. I think you, you're you're trying to compare two players who played in completely different eras. Like, if you go back, we were talking about this a couple of weeks ago. If you back at, go back and watch a game from 1993, it's almost irrecognizable as far as, like, how basketball is played today. So let's get that out of the way. Two, um, averaging almost 10 rebounds a game, which George Lynch did his senior year, with Eric Montross on the court uh, and the way Carolina played back then is pretty impressive. That's like Ingram averaging 13 now, I would say. So there's that. They rebound well. Uh, both rebound well. They both score you know, close to the basket and, you know, you don't necessarily want them going ISO or anything. So I think those are, are the similarities on the court. I think what people are seeing are the intangible um, similarities and that makes them think that they are, you know, uh, congruent players with Lynch. It was always like, he's going to do whatever you needed. Uh, we joked in the off season about there's going to be a stat at the end of the year about Ingram and how he had, you know, all these numbers in seven different stats. And George Lynch was that same type of player. If you needed a block, he would get you a block. If you needed a steal, he would get you a steal. If you needed an and one, he'd get you that. If you needed a rebound, he'd get you that. Sometimes he'd bring the ball up the court when Derek Phelps was, was nursing one of his 75 injuries that he sustained, you know, his junior and senior year. So I, I think that's what people are seeing. Maybe not them being really comparable as like exact players, but the intangible part of it. And I would say from the intangible part, then yeah, because they are definitely leaders on the team. Ingram is a little more fiery. I think Lynch, even though he was a leader, was more reserved. Uh, but I, I think what they bring and, and what they're doing, pretty similar. I think some of George's teammates would probably argue with you on the George Lynch being reserved part. <laughs> but I get your point. Okay. He's not well, as gregarious. Not as gregarious yeah, as Harrison is. Reserved publicly, let's put it that way. Yes, yes. He is not a... He's not the one that will always uh, that will always jump up to the microphone when it's time to to give an interview, which we know that to be true about Harrison Ingram. All right, boys, appreciate you allowing me to bring back no cap or sus the way the people want it. Like I said, when when you get phone calls from from folks that are that know what's popping, and they ask you, "Hey, bring back no cap or sus," you got to do it. We're we're a show of the people, if nothing else. Uh, I do want to get to some of the questions. One of the reasons I thought we could we could do this tonight. Um, is to take some questions from the audience. So shout out to 300 folks that are here. 
I'll go ahead and start digging through to some of these and I'm going to pepper you guys with them um, so that you can give us some some real honest answers here. Um, this is less of a question, but it's something I, I do think you know is worth talking about. Sherelle, uh, Mongo Slade made a comment about Seth needing to figure out what he's going to do before he jumps at the rim. I don't think he's that far off. What's your what's your, what's your response to that, Sherelle McMillan? Yeah, I, he's probably disappointed, especially in that layup. Who knows what happens if UNC goes up 21 to 8. Instead, he misses the layup. They have another lost possession. Florida State hits a three, and the game is back on. Um, I think they'll just tell him to dunk the ball. Like, you know, just dunk it. That's It's pretty simple. And he's one of the few people that has been blessed with the ability to do so fairly easily. <laughs> just, just, just do it. it. Yeah. yeah, I think that's a learning lesson from him for, for him. You could almost see him like as his reaction from the first one, the Florida State game. Just he knew he should have punched it, and I think he just got caught in no man's land. And, and, and none of us, I will speak for y'all wholeheartedly and say this: none of the three of us understand what it's like to be that athletic and to be able to get up in the air and not know what to do when you get there. I mean, I, not a problem I've ever experienced before. Uh, Sean, this question is from Ben, and it sounds like something right up your alley. Is UNC's offensive efficiency becoming a concern? They are 73rd in the country per uh, Bartorvik since January the 1st. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think, I don't know if it was the last, one of the last two podcasts, you brought up the question, you know, what what is anything that can, can slow them down? And it's definitely that offensive efficiency that we've been we've been seeing, uh, you know, especially whether, whether it's 73rd in the country or looking at the ACC only stats. Uh, you know, it's it's not concerning, but I think, that is hopefully where they have the room to to grow and and get up into that um, more the, at least the upper echelon of the, the ACC with with RJ Davis and, and others and I think with Cadeau starting to get there and and with Cormac Ryan and hopefully Ingram um, being able to be be a little more consistent that can come up there because when you're looking at the points per possession throughout the ACC play it, you know it hasn't been been great but they've been they've been getting wins and you know I think as we look at this next stretch of games. Georgia Tech on the road, Duke, but then you have Miami and some other, I think, of the more talented ACC teams. That's going to, you know, they can go through scoring slumps, but they're going to have to definitely pick it up uh, because it is, in my mind, a concern and something that you don't want to see falter uh, come March when at the same time, here's one of those teams that is now hitting 40% from, from three. Peeling on that thread a little bit more um, from Brian Neal, how much of the ISO offense against Florida State was adjusting to their length and the way they defended versus North Carolina slipping back into relying on their guards and playing a little bit hero ball? There was some of that late in the game, so I think I know what Brian's referring to. Sean, I'm going to ask you the same thing. How much of it was you – what do you think? Uh, it was North Carolina taking what was given, or do you think it was old habits you know, rearing their heads again? No, I, I – when you – I was looking at this in the morning, so I can't remember exactly. But when you looked at isolation plays, I think there was 21 that were recorded in, in this game, which was, um, you know, extremely above any any other any other game, and especially in that second half. So was it a product of, of Florida State switching and kind of pushing that out there, or at the same time, not every team is going to have the size and the length of Florida State where they can do that effectively. So I think that led to some of the you know, slowing it down, the ball wasn't moving, you're watching, trying to get go one on one. I think I think it was more dictated due to Florida State and their style of defense versus UNC 
um, trying to be the hero, but at the same time, you know, other teams try to do that so that it slows UNC down and it gets them into a one-on-one matchup, perhaps. But at the same time with, with RJ Davis and how well he's playing, you probably don't want to pick that poison, but I would say it was more FSU with their length and size uh, dictating how that how that turned out. Thank you, sir. From Chase Simon, Sherelle, what's presenting? What's preventing? Excuse me, uh, Jalen Washington from getting more playing time. Why not give him a four minute segment each half? Is he that much of a liability on defense? We mentioned it earlier. I don't think he's a total liability on defense. I think it's when he's put into screens and and uh, put on the perimeter and is forced to guard laterally laterally that it becomes an issue around the rim. I think he's pretty good um, as far as blocking shots and making sure he secures the defensive rebound. So a part of it is like always is that Armando Bacot at this point is just a better player. So uh, you want to give Washington some minutes to help uh, Bacot rest. But at the same time, if you overexpose Washington, that could hurt the team. So it is a balance. And I think we, we were talking about uh, whether this is like a coach Smith team or not. I think the way he's using Jelly Washington, the way he's using, Jalen Weathers definitely shows that it, it kind of is because, again, Washington comes in um, to give Armando a break, but he really reads and sees how Washington is playing. And if he's, you know, doing well or, you know, he hasn't given up anything, he'll let him stay in the game a, a couple of extra minutes. So I think that's the main thing is just that lateral, uh, uh, lateral ability on defense. Uh, next question. And again, shout out to everybody for getting these good questions here. I appreciate it. Uh, Sean, what about our end of game slow play trying to protect our lead? Does it lead? It does lead to some empty possessions. So I, th- I think the question, and I'll, I'll do this for Rob. Sorry, Rob, if I'm taking too much creative liberty here. Uh, how do you feel about UNC taking the air out of the ball like they did at the end of the game against, uh, against Wake Forest? And they did go ISO a couple of times. I don't know if it were things breaking down, but uh, there were times where you could see that, all right, this is going to be in RJ Davis's hands. Full stop, end of sentence. Uh, what are your thoughts on that, Sean? It's hard because you do want to you do want to work clock, but I think you know just whether it's watching football or, or basketball, I always hate it when you know the team ahead kind of takes their foot off and they start you know trying to trying to you know whether it's the prevent defense or or you know just run 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 whatever it is. I always hate that style of play. I think you always want to play be the aggressor once you I think stop trying to win and you're just trying not to lose. That's where things can unravel pretty quickly. So. I think it does lead to some empty possessions. I think you do want to work clock, but I think at the same time, you still need to kind of run the offense so that it's not somebody going one-on-one and you're basically getting that Alabama game of last year over and over again of just one-on-one possessions each and every time. Uh, Sherelle, I'm going to ask you this one from Thomas Thurman in the chat. Is there any game left on the UNC schedule where North Carolina should go back to more Baycott-centric, inside-out type work. Uh, I think we mentioned that briefly earlier, but I'll let you dive into that a little bit more if you want. Uh, it depends on who's playing for Syracuse. Uh, I think uh, they were pretty susceptible at the rim uh, against UNC and the Smith Center. So when they go up to Syracuse, I, I wonder if that's a situation where Armando can really take advantage of things. He, he had it going in that game, but then he got into foul trouble. I think he had eight mm-hmm. points in the first four or five minutes, but he said mm-hmm. most of the first half and part of the second half with, with major foul trouble. Uh, ended up still with 16 and 11 or something like that, one of his better games. So Syracuse would, would be one where I would think about it, especially in an environment like that. Um, it's going to be wild up there when, when they go. So that's one. And then 
you know, honestly, we can spin this forward, but I think Saturday against Duke is another opportunity because Cal Filipowski has shown uh, a propensity of late to get into foul trouble. Um, and I think Ryan Young, while a good defender, is not someone who North Carolina fans or Armando Baycott really fears uh, defensively in the post. And after that, that leaves, I guess, Mark Mitchell, who would be the third guy to defend in the post. So if there's a situation where UNC is able to get Filipowski in foul trouble early, I think that's a time where you could really feed Baycott and he could really go to work. So uh, think about that game and think about Syracuse. I guess those two games and then think about Syracuse as well. Yeah. I think I'll, uh, the, just real quick on that, I think the one thing to avoid is trying to you want to go at Filipowski and or try to get Baycott good looks because he's not going to offer you know he's not going to be lively where once lively kind of shut Baycott down like he was done for the game so I don't want to put all the pressure where if he misses early then or you know it's one or two possessions doesn't work out where they stop going to him because I think you, you're going to need to continue to to feed him and at least put pressure on them down low. I, I think they're going to be bringing double teams and and looking to get get it out, so they're not getting Filipowski in trouble. More t- more Ryan Young time as well, but definitely agree with Terrell on, on that in terms of making it a, a focus. I'll keep my Ryan Young thoughts to myself, <laughs> um, and I think you saw a little bit of that from Clemson when they played Duke the other night. Uh, we'll talk about the the result of that game because it's not really our place in this podcast. Well, since we're on Duke, uh, let's let's just kind of go there. We're not looking over Georgia Tech. Uh, again, fans and people who cover the team can't look past games because we don't play in the game. So uh, let's just look Georgia Tech. They, Georgia Tech's a tough place to play, all the cliches. They don't play well in Atlanta in any sport ever. It's going to be a tough matchup. Don't want to have a letdown, et cetera, et cetera. But that's a game that they should go in there and win. Whether or not they yeah. do, we'll see. Okay, so there's Georgia Tech, done. Um, so moving on to Duke on Saturday, I, I think – you know, they employed the strategy against Leaky Black for, I guess, three straight years where basically whoever was his man, they just doubled off. They, they, he, they said, you know, be a free safety and roamed off of him. So the, the wonder is if they do that with Elliot Cadeau and who is going to be that person who rolls off of him. I mean, if it was me, it would make a lot of sense for someone like Mark Mitchell to start on Elliot Cadeau. I know that's unconventional, but that allows him, if they're not going to respect Cadeau as a shooter, to double down on Baycott and, and then Harrison Ingram and those guys. It creates other mismatches, but I think, like Sean said, that might be the first time that we see it where teams really, really lay off a of Cadeau. And we know that Duke has done it with players at UNC who play a lot, and, uh, you know, struggle from behind the three-point line. Hang on. Last question I was going to give you guys tonight anyway. So, Sherelle, you kind of walked us into that, that realm anyway. Um, not looking past Georgia Tech. You're right. We're not playing in the game, so there's not really any such thing as us looking past anything. Dwayne Eason from the chat, and I like the way he phrases because this is very Shirellian language. Question for Shirell. Finish the sentence. Carolina beats Duke if. I love the way he said that because we've employed that a, a thousand times here on the show. Sean, I'll let you take it as well, but uh, Shirell, I'm going to go to you first since he, since he called you by your name. Uh, I, it's the same strategy. I, I, if I were a coach, I would always employ against Duke and, and maybe because they have more rounded scores or, or more scores than they have in the past, it, it won't work. But I let Filipowski, you know, do his thing, you know, force feed him the ball, let him, let him do his thing. But I'm not going to let Mark Mitchell and Jared McCain and Jeremy Roach and Tyrese Proctor beat me, especially from deep, because uh, while Carolina probably has the, I would say the best shooter 
on the court in RJ Davis, probably the next four maybe all play will play for Duke in that game. So that would be my strategy is force uh, Filipowski into tough twos. Um, I think Armando is up to the challenge. Uh, Harrison Eager could probably help a little bit too. Um, but then I, I would make those other guys beat me from outside. That would be the strategy. No doubles. Um, and just, you know, see if Filipowski can beat you. I, I, and I, I don't think he can do it by himself. Just stop him and choke everything else out. All right, Sean, I'll come to you. And I'm just, I'm impressed that Shrill didn't mention uh, old face Caleb Foster. Um, Cause that, that name certainly would have come up too. Sean, go ahead, man. Well, yeah, I mean, I think when you, when you look at Duke, you see, you've seen Filipowski's improvement from the, the three point line, their top 25, pretty much everybody, everybody besides Mark Mitchell has above 35, 40%. So normally you'd say, okay, well, we know Mark Mitchell's going to hit a, hit a few or he hits some big shots like he did, like he did last year. In my mind, it's, it's keeping Proctor from getting into that, into the, into the paint or into, you know, 12 to eight feet, like he did time and time again, where he was able to get comfortable and get into that, not, not all the way to the basket, but, but get to the basket. So I think defensively, uh, just making sure they're, they're putting pressure on him. And then offensively, I thought Duke did play really strong, almost pack line S defense last year, obviously easier when, when you're playing three on five for the most part. So I think if UNC is able to run their offense and look to get good shots and, and have an offensive flow, that will um, just kind of create a difference that maybe Duke was used to last year. Um, and if, if Cormac and Ingram are, are able to able to hit some threes, that will open things up and alleviate some of the pressure. You know they're going to be hounding RJ. Um, he's going to get his, but you're going to have, um, you know, those guards going to be all over him. And they're going to, I think, between Armando doubling him and, and Elliot trying to do something to playing off of him pretty significantly, you know, there's going to be some, um, you know, some hurdles that, that need to need to come over. So I think just playing efficiently offensively and, and keeping Proctor out of, out of that, uh, you know, inside that free throw line from five to 12 feet. Yeah. I Definitely think you guys both. Sorry. Sorry, Joe. I was gonna say it could be a big Trimble game uh, just because, Duke has played three guards a, a decent amount with McCain, with Roach, uh, and with Proctor. And I think Seth is the only one of the, the guards, really. Uh, I guess Cormac Ryan, too. But Seth has that athletic ability and, and athleticism to, to stay in front of Proctor. And plus, we've seen Elliot Cadeau, how the offense looks at times when he gets in foul trouble and has to go out, like it happened against yeah. Florida State in the second half. And uh, you, you got to think that, again, if you're reading the scouting report, if, if there's a Proctor Cadeau uh, matchup that, like Sean said, he's going to take him into the paint and try to just shoot over the top. I love both of the answers, or the answers that both of you guys gave. Um, I, I do realize that you know North Carolina is on a a really rarely precedented high right now. They're playing incredibly well. Um, just a lot of a lot of positive mojo around the program. But I just want to tell folks. Like Sherelle said earlier, Duke's got some scores. I know they have not looked great at times. I know they needed a bailout against Clemson. They, you know, lost at home to Pitt. I get all that. Duke still has talent. Let's not, you know, let's not go to a place to where we think there's going to be a an absolute, you know, skull dragging in the Smith Center. It may end up being that way, but I would caution folks walking in expecting that because as our guy Jay Billis always says, that's right, he's our guy. I just Corey Alexander, Jay Billis. Um, as Jay Billis says it, uh, they always, always deliver both teams in this robbery. Fellas, 
before we get out of here, I need two pennies from each of you. As you know, we like to call this segment Our Two Cents, brought to you by Congruity HR. It is brought to you by Congruity HR, just a great, great supporter of Inside Carolina content. If you own or operate a small or medium-sized business, we want you to check out Congruity. Go to congruityhr forward slash Tar Heels. What they're going to do is they're going to give you an assessment for free, gratis, below, $0.99, right? Like they're, they're, they're not going to charge you. They're going to let you go in there and get an assessment of your business, and they'll tell you how they can help you optimize. They'll tell you how they can help make some more and find some more efficiencies for your business around benefits, around human resources, around the things that usually are a big time suck uh, for a business owner or a business manager, and allow you to go back to doing the things that are the most profitable, that allow you to grow, that help you scale, all that stuff. So we want you to support Congruity the way they support us. Uh, Congruity HR forward slash Tar Heels. Go get that assessment for your business. If they cannot help you, they will say, hey, we cannot help you. And then you know you've just done a good thing by paying it forward to a an organization that that supports your content that you get here on Inside Carolina. We want you to take care of them, and we assure you they will take care of you or your small or medium-sized business. Congruity HR. Sean, I'm coming to you first. Give me your two cents brought to you by Congruity HR. All right. So I'm going to ask for something. Can I give one? We go to Sherelle and then come back because I don't want to step on Sherelle. Oh, my man's, my man's trying to do a walk-off shot here, Sherelle. You going to let him? Uh, okay, well, I'll do one. Uh, one. One is going to be two. It's another second we call reading. Uh, so my favorite number, conference only, defensive efficiency. UNC is at 89.1 points per 100 possessions, which is really good. It's so good that it's the highest number, granted only through nine games, since UVA in 2018. Uh, they were exactly 89.1. The hope is that UNC season doesn't end like UVA's that year, but uh, 89.1. So that's that's... Again, showing you the level of defense Carolina's playing. I'm so, sorry. I, anytime I hear a reference to UVA basketball, I immediately have a, a really strong gag reflex. So my apologies, Sherelle. Uh, Sean, go ahead with your, uh, the first of your two pennies, sir. Well, that's why I wanted Sherelle to go first because I was thinking on the same wavelength, but I know he's he's the conference only. But So if you, you look at UVA, but you can also go back through the whole Kempom era, which goes back to 99, and I believe that number is tied for third. Uh, in the in the ACC, where you have Duke in '99, and then you have uh, three three other just UVA teams. So obviously, there's still a lot more of the ACC to go. You've seen it, I think, trend from I think it was in the '82s early on to '89. So you're you're seeing it slowly re- revert, but at the same time, still playing extremely well. So that's why I wanted Sherelle to go first on on that one. But I think right now they are they have been playing at a historic uh, conference conference p- plate conference pace defensively. All right, Sherelle, your second of your two pennies, sir. This is a combo penny. Let's call it a nickel. Uh, oh, so man. Rec- <laughs> Recruiting-wise, uh, Saturday, UNC is expecting a few visitors. Uh, Caleb Wilson, a top five uh, hybrid forward in the 2025 class, will be on campus or is expected on campus, as well as Jasper Johnson, who's in for an official visit. Um, he is a guard in the 2025 class, also a top 10 player. Uh, you will have to assume Drake Powell, season ticket holder, will be there too. And then there will probably be s- uh, some other guys who who make it. Uh, we'll try to have a full list out Wednesday or Thursday. Um, and the last thing I wanted to say was that Harrison Ingram, always going back to him and comparing his numbers to Stanford. So 2022, his freshman year, he made 36 threes in 32 games. 
2023 sophomore year, he made 36 threes in 33 games. This year at UNC, in 20 games, he's already made 34. So more than likely in the next two games, he'll pass his uh, single season high with probably 15, 16, maybe 17, 18, 19 games left. Uh, so it shows you just how he stepped it up from his first two years at Stanford. Hoping my guy doesn't have some sort of like fetish with the number 36. That would, that would not be good for UNC down the stretch. Love that number though, man. I, I love where you guys find these things. It's uh, all right. So we're gonna we're gonna tee up Sean real nice here, right? Sean won Sean won the last shot. So so far away. No, no, it wasn't the last shot. It was more I didn't want to step on Sherrill's toes with the defensive. No, stat. you've got the last but, shot now, sir. I need you to step up well, and hit it. So one thing on Harrison Ingram, uh, I think the three point shooting is a big difference. Obviously, the offensive re- or both offensive and defensive rebounding, but. If you're on Ken Palm and you look at both his in-season play this year and, and last year, the numbers are very similar in not a not a great way in terms of a, a average offensive efficiency um, and, and some other numbers. So once again, I think we always keep mentioning to watch him and how he continues to play. Three of four from three was was big, um, as was, you know, once again, key plays in, in different areas. But I'd say the other true penny is on Saturday you know, really this week. So not looking ahead against at Georgia tech and, and Duke, but what is UNC going to get out of the bench? Uh, it, from a points perspective, they got, uh, I think four points from Washington and Wojcik against Florida state, but Trimble Trimble struggled. So what will they get this week? Uh, Cause I think that's going to be important in terms of not just what they're producing, but when are those minutes coming? And then how is UNC doing in those minutes? Are they up and they're giving up a lead or, or are they, uh, you know, around around even, and now they're they're behind. So I think that's going to be a big impact, especially Saturday, where you can't really afford to uh, you know give up big runs or go long periods without scoring. I mean, you knocked it down, dude. I, I know what I'm going to be watching now in both games this week is is how does that bench show up and what situational uh, what situational tries are they given? You know, where do they what do they look like and what do they do? All right, I understand now that Sherelle wants to wants to come back out on the court and and get some shots after the horn's already been blown. So sure, sir, I will I will open the court up to you. We will shoo all of the photographers and and trainers and media away from the court and allow you one more crack at it. No, you know, there's always that one reporter who's left. He takes the picture of, of Sherelle on his yeah, computer em- on the ground. Yeah. Like, yeah, look at him 45 minutes after the game taking jump shots. He's so committed. Uh, still no, well, still in here writing quotes. Right, right. No, what I was going to say is, I'm sure we'll talk about it next Sunday, but I mean, if there's a way that they go 2-0 and this week, I mean, they would be 11-0 and in conference. They'd be up three or four games uh, with, what, nine left. Um, so, I mean, they could make a real, real huge, huge dent uh, on the rest of the conference and it'd be even more in the driver's seat than they are a week from today if they're able to take care of, of business in these two games. And, um you know, I, I know people think that's jinxing, but eleven and zero with likely Duke, uh, eleven and zero with Duke likely with three losses, or maybe four, depending on what happens tomorrow night, and UNC having a win over the next four teams um, behind them in the rankings would be a really commanding lead in the ACC. And I can't wait for all the all the think pieces about everybody saying why North Carolina walking through the ACC is bad for the conference, because I guarantee you somebody will somebody will come up with a hot take factory and. Or somebody's hot take factory will will come up with that headline because they will say that North Carolina is is destroying one, the the league rankings. One, one one game at a time. One game at a time with this team, fellas. I appreciate y'all so much. Shout out to uh, almost 350 folks that were 
that were a part of this show tonight. We appreciate each and every one of y'all jumping in on a live show. We won't always do these live, but we felt like we had the, the stars aligned, and I do mean Sherelle and Sean are stars, to make this work tonight. So I uh, appreciate everybody working us into their uh, working us into their schedule. I appreciate John Siegley producing. Appreciate Johnny T-Shirt Congruity for sponsoring this show. Until next time, for Sherelle McMillan, for Sean Moran, I am Joey Powell for Inside Carolina. We will talk to all of you in the very near future. Late. The baseball season is in full swing, which means you need to listen to Fantasy Baseball Today, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network. Join Scott White, Chris Towers, and me, Frank Stample, every weekday as we recap every player from every game. We'll talk waiver wire ads, drops, players to trade for, prospects who could make an impact, and everything in between. Make sure to download and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Odyssey app, and everywhere else podcasts are found.